Hello and welcome to this week's Mad Axman podcast. This is an unusual one. Um, I'm not in it. This is all you're going to hear from me all, um, all in the next two hours, really. The usual gang are here covering nearly all the features. There is no teaching to me about Napoleon. Thank the Lord. So that music takes a miss this week. But there is Andy's quiz. There's the conversations about painting. There's games people have discussed. There's what they're doing next week. There's a usual old load of old rubbish as well, um, even without me. So sit back, enjoy, and I'll hand you over to our host, um, G'day Simon, as he will pick up this week's podcast and take on the um, the baton duties of corralling the cats. Enjoy the podcast. This means war. This means war. G'day, everybody. Welcome to another Mad Axe Band podcast. This is podcast number 16. We're still in lockdown. So for some of us, it's day 112 or 13, I think it is. So there's just six of us today. Tim's been Tim, allowed you've out. you've got a bit of a cold there, mate. Your voice seems a bit different. Yeah. Sounds like you've been deported. I'd gone to get my eyes tested. I went for a quick drive and um, I could sort of... <laughs> this is what happens with going to Cornwall. Your voice changes. So you become Australian. Absolutely. Straith, mate. So t- Tim's um, currently on holidays. He's been allowed out for a few days. And just the six of us. Excellent. We've got Evening. Everyone else by Hello. myself. Everyone Hello, else. Hello, <laughs> This is the one person who presses the button 120 times each week. <laughs> Because they don't understand how it works. <laughs> guys, guys, settle down, mate. Guys, it's hard. This is quite difficult for Simon to do. I'm sure Tim and Led that bit out. Oh, yeah. Thank you. So, we're here for week, week 16, and we've got a few, few exciting things to talk about. So, can, we're going to kick off with the thing we always seem to forget, answers to the online preamble, to the questions we put onto the online um, postings about the podcast. So, Adam. Kicking off, Hello. How, many, how many toothbrushes do you reckon helped the British Army uh, of the Rhine ward off a Warpack invasion? <laughs> I don't. You're the, you're the toothbrush specialist. You tell me. I guess the more important question, were, were they, um, was it a Colgate toothbrush or a, um, a Sainsbury's one? No, it was a British Army of the Rhine issued toothbrush, I expect. <laughs> Special <laughs> force bristles in those days. But in, in official um, army green. Yeah, but as, well, as any squaddy knows, they'd actually be half toothbrushes because you cut off the handle so it fit, fits in better uh, in the kit, reduces weight very slightly. Uh, or is that because they use the handle for uh, making for a spoon for making uh, very strong cups of tea? Yeah, but this is a British Army of the Rhine, so they've got lots of space just to put it in the tanks and stuff. So you didn't cut anything down. Yeah, I'm talking about infantry, I foot infantry, not. I not motorised and not not tankers. Yeah, but the toothbrush is too t- toothbrush is too technical for the infantry. <laughs> Do they not have toothbrush holders in the tanks? I thought they might have had something like that by then. No, they have water boilers in the tanks. Ah, right, because yeah, because you need to you know while you're waiting for your tank to turn on, you need to make a cup of tea. Yeah, I've had those since World War Two. <laughs> well, you used to brew up in World War Two, but that was a different type of brewing up. Nope. No Yorkshire tea then. Yep. Nope. <laughs> Mr. Saunders, since you're a resident in Harrow, what, what are the current statistics for wearing underpants in Harrow? Well, 
I've, I'll, I'll admit, I've turned the washing machine on twice in the last 10 days. One was to, what, to do the uh, bedding, so that was, that was not a non-underwear related event. Uh, but the, the second one was, the, the one was, and that, that was two pairs of underwear because I'm just living in my um, loungewear at the moment. I'm, I'm living in pyjamas apart from when I go out to the shop twice a week. Guys, guys, Dave, Dave, I've now got images burned <laughs> in my brain that I just will never, it's like I could wash my brain with bleach and I wouldn't be <laughs> Just please stop, mate. You're asking the question. I think I can help here because my office is in Harrow. I had to go into the office very early one day last week just to pick up a file and leave another file back. And I can promise you it wasn't a commander raid. <laughs> I'm going to need therapy after that. <laughs> go from bad to worse, really, isn't it? Yes. Got to be careful what we ask for. Yeah. Now, Adam, as the, the rels and... Uh, sorry the resident Malifaux expert. Does a steam-powered organ need more or less wheels? And yes, you can that take that in whichever way you envisage it. That does sound like a Captain Flashheart, that joke, doesn't it? By steam-powered organ. It's not steam-powered, baby. It's nuclear-powered. It's it's, I, I don't know. It's just like every man should provide as many wheels as for their organ as they feel is necessary. Getting worse. <laughs> I mean, that, that does lead on to some of the the, um, the miniatures that Tamsin was painting last week. The um, the fatties from um, from Judge Dread. Billy wheels, yes. Sorry, Billy wheels, yeah. So. <laughs> and one that's just come out recently. We were having a, a bit of an online debate in the, um, the wargaming mob about various new mottos for the club. So um, the Central London motto is "It's Max of Incontinence." It should have been incompetence, but you know we couldn't even get that right. And as we discussed about you know people's hairdos and hairstyles, we seem to have gone into this badger view. So, Peter is a badger onesie an appropriate uh, something appropriate to wear to a wargaming competition, either local or international. Uh, I think it would be best suited for an international one because turning up to the airport with a load of badger onesies would just be perfect. And then when you finally get to the event and you walk in and there's a lot of Spanish, French there, and we turn up as the British contingent in a load of badger onesies, we'll go, ah, them, ah. And you'll get this sort of like knowing look where they'll smile and just go, yes, they've been drinking already, but they're slow. They're not from Belgium. Um, so, yeah, I think it'd be perfect. The, the only thing you'd have to worry about is sort of like making sure it's not too baggy so you don't knock any uh, miniatures flying as you're moving stuff around the table. So you want to wear a skin-tight badger onesie? I wouldn't say skin-tight. Yeah, I'd say just around the arms. You know, uh, you know, like you have those um, croupiers where they've got the bands on the arms just to... Oh, uh, yeah, the... Uh, the uh, See, that'd be perfect. I can't help thinking that a badger onesie um, at the Worlds next year in Greece in June might be a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> Well, if you go the Harrow way, it'd be very comfortable with nothing underneath it. <laughs> oh, well, like a commando yeah. unit, yeah. <laughs> I could just, I could just imagine all of us rocking up to Heathrow or uh, whichever airport, and you know, maybe by then it might be um, South End is the only airport left in um, this side of England. Um, just imagine six or seven of us, all of us coming with a bag of toy soldiers and a onesie, comp- uh, onesie badger uniform. 
just going through security and being quietly escorted to a private room to say, how much have you been drinking and where, um, what's this white powder in your bag? And why aren't you a stag do? Yeah. I think I call the limit there. Uh, <laughs> right. The day. Dear God, we're doing something good. <laughs> right. So moving on to what we've painted this week. So before we go there, I've got one other point arising from uh, what we discussed last week in teaching Tim about Napoleonics. Well, actually, two. One is I realised that in the recording I said that um, La Coruña was in northeast Spain, and of course it's in northwest Spain. And secondly, um, I'm a bit worried you might have given Tim the impression that one of the key things of the Napoleonic Wars was um, Sean Bean running around saying bastard, and in fact. As the Sharp series show, he does actually use other words like bugger, damn and bloody. But he does become more eloquent. And by the time of Waterloo, he's able to wax quite lyrical about the uh, Prince of Orange making a mess of things and sending British troops to their death. And here's a short clip which does this. <laughs> Right, well, hopefully that, that doesn't get us served with a, with a um, injunction. Yeah. <laughs> if we can post that, I'm, not sure, I'm sure Tim will post that in the, in the um, podcast notes. <laughs> Hearing suitable link to it. One thing that I think really sweet, Andy, is you're a bit worried that we've given Tim a bit of a wrong impression about the Napoleonic Wars. <laughs> <laughs> that horse is well and truly bolted, man. <laughs> this same <laughs> door. That ship sailed a long time ago, yeah. yeah. Right, so let's, let, let's have a chat about what we can painting now. Adam, I can see Hello. you got a. I can see you got a fistful of um, plastic sprues in your hand, which look in. very exciting. Are they Vitrix? They are indeed. But I'll talk about these for next week. Oh, okay. I just want. I just want to because this is what I'm starting. I just want to share my excitement. At um, I've finished my um, next batch of twelve Mongols. So I've just um, I've got to do an order for four sort of like well armored ones in a general, mm. and that will be my. Um, Saga Mongoli army done, which is always quite exciting. Always good. And, and uh, I've also I also did my um, Cybermen, which was fantastic to paint because um, I wanted to do them because I wanted to practice using the um, gunmetal silver undercoat mm -hmm. from Army Painter just to see how it went on. Um, so that that was useful. But for painting figures, um, the entire technique I used was spray them silver. Then I thought spray them gunmetal. Then I oh. thought, shall I, then shall I um, highlight the edges silver, sort of like bright silver yep. to bring it out? But there was like loads of edges, so I just thought, no, I can't be bothered. So I sprayed them gunmetal, washed them in Games Workshop known oil, um, put in a black dot for each eye, and that was it. That was that's, that's just like brilliant painting. It, it took that's... me at least fifteen minutes to sort of like do twelve Cybermen in their little like robot pet things. Oh, cool. so do the command ones? Do the command ones? Are they not gold rather than silver? No, that's Daleks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, yeah, well, I haven't watched Doctor Who for a while. I, I painted a bit of gold on one, so I could say, "Oh, that's a boss one." Oh, that's but, cool. um, 
other than and i didn't even sort of like use a spray paint for that and so that was it was just like yeah no that's, that's all artistic one <laughs> so I got two two batches of toy soldier painting done in a week, which is uh, a It's a bit of a shame you didn't use the gold painted um, gold spray paint as the base coat because you could have asked um, Peter for some expertise on how to recover that. Yeah, well, he's heard it all now. He's just, he's moved on. He's going to use green and then gold or something. It's going to be a bit different. And did you were, were you able to play um, Doctor Who with your boys? Um, well, it's a boy and a girl. Sorry, boy and a girl. So, um, don't let Matilda hear, hear you say that because you'll you'll be in trouble. Um, no, because I've I've got to paint up the other stuff. But mm -hmm. I've got in a um, got in a game of Dungeon Saga with them because Dungeon Saga they sort of like there's about seven scenarios all linked, and we did the second to last one. Mm -hmm. So now we're sort of like so that that was fun, and we're just um going to be moving on to the um the last final huge one. Cool, so that's all exciting. Cool stuff. So Adam, mm -hmm. the, sea, the Sea Devils appear in your game. What, so, Doctor Who? Yeah, yeah, the Sea Devils were 1970s John Pertwee era. Well, it's, it's a Warlord Games thing, so um, I don't know if you quite possibly could buy them. They've done loads of different stuff. Oh, I don't know whether they've done Sea Devils. Sorry? I've got some I won as a prize a while back. And I oh, picked right. them up for the fun of it, and I, I kept putting them on the bring and buy sale at Warfare as a joke. And no one's ever bought them, so um, if I can find them, they're yours. <laughs> Thank you very much. I thought I painted them quite nicely as well, so. Yeah, I know, but sort of like Sea Devils from first year of Doctor Who. Yeah. No, they're the Warlords ones. Yeah, 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 I know. Yeah, but yeah, just the whole series, isn't it? Because, you know, it's, are you a Tom Baker Doctor Who or anything else, really? They were good because they came out of the sea at Bournemouth. Did they? Uh, no, I think, it's, I think it was Brighton, actually. But it looked like it's that sort of thing. It was a bit well, beach, let's put it that way. Was a, yeah, if it was, if it was a rubbish beach, it was bought Brighton. Yeah, exactly. Dungeon Saga's fun, though. Yeah, no, Dungeon Saga's a lot of fun, because when we got it, I painted up all the, all the different bits in it, sort of like, so that, so it looks quite good. And I've done a couple of time-lapse videos with it, because um, sort of like messing around with time-lapse when we're kids, sort of like we've done a few time-lapse, so it's like we've got the skeletons chasing the sort of like yeah. heroes down the corridors, which is a, uh, which was a, uh, quite a fun way of spending some time in lockdown pretending that i was teaching them stuff because that dungeon saga that's the um the, the dungeon bash game isn't it where you've got the bunch of scenarios yeah it's the it's mantic it's a mantic version of hero quest okay um yep. and again it's it's a, it's a well-designed game um the the it's um so you get all the figures you get sort of like dwarves isn't it sorry the one with the dwarves isn't it yeah well it's like, because the heroes are, um, the heroes are just they're sort of like the dwarf, the barbarian, the elf, and the um, magic user, and you get you get sort of like to lay out tiles, um, and it's all quite good quality, quite good quality. Um, the kids love it. It's a good introduction into that sort of game. Um, I, dare, I dare say that I'll be playing Dungeons and Dragons with them in the not too distant future, and they'll know what they're doing because of that. Fantastic. Yeah, on Podbeam, when you're on Podbeam, when it sees our thing come up, there's quite a few rival um, podcasts come up, and quite a few of them are D&D uh, &D podcasts. So we're being associated with that. Well, uh, well, to normal people, we basically are, aren't we? I mean, to us, it's sort of like, 
Yeah, um, completely different. Yeah. But to normal people, we're just sort of like nerds. It's like we're just sort of like one up from train spotters. But D&D, board games, wall gaming, it's all kind of the same. Um, we're, we're definitely one above train spotters because we paint our toys. We just don't, um, just don't collect them. We yeah. paint and you know, buy and model them. No, do we paint and we use them as well? Yeah, and occasionally um, uh, scratch build them. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my, my wife likes jewellery, and I remember she bought a load of them um, Pandora, uh, you know, those brace, bracelets and charms and stuff. And I say, you spend all this money on this metal and you can't even play games with it. Yeah, well, that went down well. <laughs> yeah, okay. so, um, so Andy, when did, when did you get out of hospital after saying that? No, when she... were you able to add next add to your lead collection after that? <laughs> um, All right, Tamsin, what's on your painting schedule or painting? Or what are you painting up to now? Uh, what am I painting up at the moment? Right now, nothing. I'm prepping <sighs> for figures. I've finished a load of terrain in the last week. I mean, last week I mentioned that I was painting up a load of pavement pieces, and they're done. I've also painted a couple of ladders, a bridge. And some cars to go, some futuristic cars to go with uh, uh, with my Judge Dread collection. Um, those I saw on your blog. Those cars. You put some on Mad the, or something, didn't you? They're the ones from the Anton's Anton City That's workshop. That's workshop, yeah. The one you can never pronounce, because um, they were their their really cool Kickstarter range, weren't they? Um, I don't know if they. I think they might have been Kickstarters. A couple a uh, while ago, I, mean, I think they, they did Kickstarter a load of their design for Infinity stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, very nice, very nice cast of paint. I the cast a bit bit of a bugger to I do the prep I to prep first because there was a lot of excess resin on the undersides. Okay, which had to be ground down. So that took that took a while. But. One of those good things you can do when you're watching TV, you can just sit there with a, a file or whatever and just calmly grind down. Yeah. <laughs> but well, if it's on the underside, you... it's quite aggressively on, on the taxi cabs. But <laughs> yeah, I they came out very I they came out very nicely. Yeah, I saw your the the fluoro colours and the, the bright reds and blues. They look really spectacular. I can just yeah. I can definitely see them on a sci-fi table. We're just looking around for the infinity uh, big power yeah. power mech or something running yeah, around. Open up the gallery, show show you guys. They look really good, you know, lots of different colours and, and shapes and all that. I like the smart, the more upright smart car, you know, for the the modern city. Yeah, you really needed a, a number plate there, Thames, and saying, oh, how good is my driving or something." Yeah, that's something I might add in the future. I mean, the taxis were meant to come with decals, so bought it, but. They, were, I, they weren't in, but I've got another order in with Antonosities and they're going to put the decals in with that. Oh, Once cool. they're up and running in a new venue. Ooh. Yeah. I'm always wary of going near their website because every time I go near there, my credit card runs screaming going, please don't hurt me that much again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they do have some very nice stuff. Though. I, I Their MDF buildings would be, would be great for things like Judge Dredd, hmm. but because it's pre-painted, the cost just drive it up yeah uh, it's the same price we can get two three times as many buildings from somewhere else so, so moving on mr webb hello let me guess um austrians yes i've basically been painting like mad over the weekend and i've got the second slab of austrians it is um a absolute bucket load of 
Austrians. Uh, Austrians. Yeah. I've got um, Genzers, um, Grenadiers. So you've gone for a bit of heresy there. I see there's white yep. and blue pa blue pants. Blue pants yes. means that they're Hungarians. Uh, not necessarily. No, because the Genzers okay. had blue pants as well. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but they had. Yeah, of course they did. Some of them did. Yeah. The they pants? had the, um, the red coats, so the russet russet coloured coats. Yeah. They, they, I also read that they had white coats as well, oh, up until uh, 1809, and then some of them didn't change till 1812. I didn't know that. <laughs> Finally got one thing. Um, but no, um, I'm not an expert. No, you're right about but... the blue for the Hungarians mostly. So I've got my uh, nice Hungarian grenadiers. Yeah, I like that, Andy. Well, I couldn't um, quite see that, but yeah, okay, right. But they, and, they, um... and some nice uh, Jaegers and some Landwehr, you know, to uh, yeah. soak up the French masses that are going to roll over them. No, the Jaegers were quite decent troops. Stick them in, stick them in a barn or something, and they fight quite well. Yeah, the Landwehr though are. They're pretty and also pretty useless. <laughs> yeah, but, but they just—they do look good with their nice, cute hats and all that. It's yeah, well, it's in that forest. They don't go anywhere. Good. Yeah. So at the moment, I'm just finishing off the generals, and that'll be my Austrians done. I've got some other bits and pieces that I'll get around to at some point, but um, apart from doing the basing, I've finished mm. my Austrian army. So that'll be uh, the Spanish knights next. Yeah. So are these the Spanish knights? Are these the um, impetuous elephant knights? Absolutely. <laughs> Got to have impetuous elephant knights uh, from Navarre. Carrying artillery. Absolutely. One under each arm. <laughs> They'll be totally unbeatable, apart from in every, every game I play them in. They just got 35 points of base, that's all. And they're going to only roll a one. Yeah. Guaranteed. <laughs> so moving on, to, moving on from elephants with uh, wearing armour, Andy, what's, what have you been painting? I've been painting late Roman legionaries, um, guys that look a bit like this, uh, linen trousers, white t-shirt, uh, chainmail armour, um, I find them fairly easy to paint. I've actually done over half of 24 figures uh, in, in just under a week, so I reckon I'll finish them in about one or two more sessions of painting. And then it's, and then it's uh, Norman, well, Breton cavalry as allies for the Normans. Then I've kind of run out of 15 mil serious things to paint and I might start and painting ships, things like the um, cruel seas, motor torpedo boats and stuff like that. You know, if you're starting to run out of 15 mil, it's time to start doing an order because you have to allow a couple of weeks of lead time with um, the lockdown. So yeah. by the time well, you finish your paint, sh your ships have arrived, you'll have another kilo of lead arriving. Yeah, but I've also got loads of ships to paint. I've got the, the entire Italian surface fleet from World War II in one 3000 scale and a load of aircraft. So um, that's not going to be a problem. Before or after they got sunk? Um, well, that's the point. I could paint them, just paint them blue, then that'd be, that would work, wouldn't it? Yeah, just paint some, just paint some uh, sea base, Mediterranean coloured sea base is I in the harbour at Taranto. Yeah. What, what colour is waterlogged? What, how would you, what would you recommend Tamsin to make a ship look waterlogged, paint-wise? Waterlogged or underwater? Uh, probably under the water then. Oh, very, I mean, well, various blue greys, probably. I mean, if you're talking Italian to Taranto, I mean, it's going to be Mediterranean, so you want a reason reasonably bright fairly bright blue. Right. Okay. have so you got to charioteers for them then as well andy because they, they actually sank more ships than the uh, surface fleet didn't they mm. no i know that they well one three thousand scale i mean i think they'd be difficult to, to, to paint if you yeah. can see the things i thought you had it for cruel seas um the cruel seas i've got the british and germans 
just to start oh. a set. Yeah. Now this is one three thousand, you know, battleships and cruisers and stuff like that. The two different things: the the cruel seas and the Italian fleet. Proper tiny scale then. Yeah, that's right. Like how he says, he's just got the starter fleet at the moment. I said about thirty <laughs> ships. <laughs> just a few to keep you going. Yeah, something like that. Anything else for you, Andy? Um, not the immediate future. I mean, um, that that's it for the moment. Dave, you're the last one so far. Well, I'm actually sitting here painting Ottoman artillery, the actual guns as we speak. Um, they're cute models, aren't they? Those big bombardy things. The bombards sort of thing. Hold on, I'll stick one in the picture. There you go. Yeah. Oh, right. look at those. Yeah, Proper bombard. doing the uh, yeah. bronze on the guns. They look like they ought to be on a warship, don't they? Yeah. They're good fun. Um, I was going to say, does anybody know how to get gambions? I mean, I need something to Gambions? Do. Yeah, I need something 15 millimetre I can use as the... Uh, uh, time casts? Bowie, do they do to them? Can they be used to they do. gambions? Right, I'll have a look. Doesn't uh, Donington do them? Do they? Cool. Because I need something to, which will fit onto the 15 uh, millimetre by 40 millimetre base so I can... Use them as field fortifications, you know. What you could do is time cast certainly do do ones that work for forty millimeter bases. Brilliant, that's what yep. I'm after. Another I thing like you could one. do, Dave, is what I did. You, you get I don't know where I got them from. Little kind of um, almost like um, chopsticks, but round little round bits of bamboo. And you just chop them very short and stick them uh, that way round round. Okay. Well, I've got I've got quite a few sort of like on um, fortifications. That's right. I mean, that's more for palisades, though, Andy. Yeah, I've got. Oh, okay. I've got sort of like um, hundred years war English stakes, which I can use. But I, I was thinking having something pretty and specifically to that sort of um, Ottoman field defences sort of thing. When I did my ones, I actually um, uh, based the fortifications onto the artillery base because even if you um, whether they're fortified or not, I just think from a model it's quite nice. And yeah. being it's a nice forty mil square, it's like meh. You it's kind of a diorama out of it, yeah. Yeah, sure. and it's quite it's quite neat. And one of the things I like with ADLG is um, if you're behind fortifications and you wheel, the fortifications are assumed to manoeuvre with you. So that's quite helpful. That's I'm definitely looking at doing both of that sort of thing so I can have field fortifications and on the base as well. So, But anyway, on, on progress is... Uh, so the Ottomans, I think, another week or so, they're going to be finished and they're pretty and finished so I, I've, I've actually been adding to the lead mounting because I'm running short so um, before uh, Forged in Battle Warren Empire's Kickstarter came to an end I've ordered another 150 quids worth off them <laughs> so what have you bought so well, as long as they it's another two armies isn't it uh, it well, it's a whole Frankish army which is reasonable because I mean basically I think the whole Frankish army and that's like 10, 12, maybe 15 bases of heavy foot impetuous which is going to be fun to paint. Oh yeah. Um, that's I mean I think that comes in about 80 quid which is a bargain and, and then I bought some other stuff for Andy. Andy wanted some camels and uh, Tim wanted some Carolingians in Sibby helmets so we got some of those for Tim but then that's the end of their Kickstarter so that finished last week so but did you manage to get them at the discounted price then? Oh, I don't know. We'll see. I mean, yeah. the, 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 I mean I'm not worried if you didn't. But... We'll see. I mean, they did last time, which is good, but we'll see how that goes. 
Yeah, Dave, they're, pretty, they're pretty decent, yeah. Dave, I just want to quote back to you. Just want to quote back to you something you said a couple of weeks ago, or it might yeah. have been a month, I don't know. Something along the lines of, no, I've done all the 15 mil painting I'm going to do now. I've got it all. I'm just not going to do any more. So that's it, me done, sorted. <laughs> I've, just, I've just made an order for £150 worth of 15 mil figures that I'm going to paint. It's good to see that you've got that, I don't know, that, Mojo that back. discipline. Yeah. 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 Well, it, 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 was, it was about... He's also got to do, he's also got to get his Egyptian <laughs> chariots, remember? I've got, those have been boarded as well. That's the other, adding, that was 20, 30 quid's worth of chariots from Fighting 15s. Yeah. To complete that lot. And then See, that, Adam, that, that, that was the, the whole back thing. It was only one army. <laughs> I think it's just good that Dave has been uh, in this new modern uh, environment that we work in at this very agile time. He's you know reacting with spare capacity, just you know painting more armies up, <laughs> adding to the economy and doing what we've been asked to. Mind you, I, I was thinking if we got VAT removed in the next three months, that'd be interesting because they're talking about removing VAT to to, to input to stimulate the economy. Oh, that would make lead a lot cheaper. Oh no, that that could get very expensive. And it could mean lead would be very cheap to import as well if there's no VAT from abroad. Yeah, all of a sudden those um, Ledger Heroica figures, you start looking at them going, oh, I don't really need another Turkish army, but they are pretty. Yeah. Well, as Samuel Johnson would have said if he were a war gamer, when a man tires of metal, he tires of life. And obviously ladies as well in the case of Tamsin. But to Adam's point, I was going to say, I'm now an impetuous foot army was necessary, um, but I'm, I'm now reaching the point where I've got to start to think about a third um, busy filing cabinet to put it all in, and that's good. That's that's the major investment. <laughs> it's, it's not even measuring your figures in number of armies; it's measuring figures in number of busy filing cabinets. Now, it's, it's yeah, got that. It's, 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 basically, it's the drawers. Everything goes in the size of the drawers. Yeah, that's sorry, the, Dave. The... You've only got two Bisleys at the moment. Come on, mate, you're not even trying. I know, I, I don't think, well, you know, when I was talking to other people, they all, I thought, you're only a serious war gamer if you've got those map chests. You know, sort of old vintage, yeah, if you yeah. go on eBay and put map chests in, they're sort of like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Drawings. Oh, they're playing for board games. Actual plan chests, yeah. Yeah, another ones, yeah. And, you know, so um, Phil Powell, I think <laughs> he had two map chests. And I think one entire drawer was sort of like three foot by four foot and, and it was just filled with cataphracts. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And it was just a little bit Just silly. in case you run short, yeah. I, I, discovered, I discovered when I was sorting out my cupboard last week, and I still haven't found that other army, that um, I, I had shed loads of Greek medium spearmen and I keep forgetting I had them and then just buying a few more to bring them by and stuff. They're just multiplying in the cupboard. Yeah, they're probably procreating like mad or something. I don't know. They're all different oh, yeah. styles. Things to do, you know, nothing else to do. Well, yeah, I suppose this is true. So, Dave, you don't have to feed them, I suppose. True. Dave, anything else on your painting table? No, so the Ottomans are progressing. So there's like, what, six, eight bases of heavy cavalry being done um, with flags and all that sort of They just need to be based. Janissary's done, light horse are done, artillery's getting done. It's uh, good progress. It's really yeah, good. I mean, I think that at the end of the day, this is going to be four armies I'll have painted in lockdown. The, the yeah. thing now is to want to get out there and play with the damn thing. Yeah. So your heavy cavalry, is that, um, have, they got, have they got spears and, or, or have they got bows? Uh, so what I've done is, there's, um, so there's six bases of 
uh, Sipahi and two bases of um, Sipahi of the port. Yeah. So the Sipahi of the port are on armoured horses. I can't see. And then what I've done is, so the, the Kurisain figures, are, you basically sort of get 12 different figures. There's an incredible sort of like depth of um, figures. So I've, what I've done is I've based the bowmen and the swordsmen on bases together. So I can use them as medium cavalry. Yeah. yeah. The ones with lances I can use as heavy cavalry. And if I, you know, and vice versa, if I need to. Yeah. Up. So, I, so I can make it visible which are heavy cavalry and which are medium cavalry. Yeah. Which then leaves the question that I'll probably need another six bases to really complete it and make sure it's all obvious as you know what it is. Yeah, it's always good to have a few more options. Yeah, so well, that's good. Uh, I just wish someone would make um, different, uh, some feudal armies for um, the tabletop simulator. Well, you can always use the um, bases from another army and just rename I've tried that. There's nothing, there's nothing really suitable. I mean, I've, I've been invited to play a game on Wednesday where my opponent uses, is using Nikephorian Byzantine. Yeah. And the only thing which is contemporaneous, which is on there, is... Vikings or Anglo-Saxons, neither of which would do particularly well against Nicophorians, in my view. So, there are um, Arab armies on there. Um, I think you can do best... feudal Spanish against them. No, there aren't any. If there was, you know, for choice, yeah. I'd take um, Normans or something like that. But there's nothing with a on a horse with a kite shield. But I mean, if you're going to play Nicophorians, the really sort of like historical thing to play with it would be something like um, Arab dynasties. Or, or um, but you could um, like a foreign army. Belgics or something. The figures. Rename. Yeah, yeah, you've got heavy cavalry in there. You've got cavalry bases, and you just re rename them and say that's Kurdish yeah. heavy cavalry elites. You could. You, you, I suppose you could do, but nothing. Um, well, I haven't. I haven't looked at the Arab army. I think it was a Bedouin army, but I suspect that's mainly camels and from an earlier era. Yeah. I don't think there's any Arab conquest type armies in there. Just use the Nicophorian one and just, you know, um, rename clone, them. clone the bases and rename them. Yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll work. Yeah, I might do that. That's the way to do it. <laughs> I, I also bought, I bought a wet pallet, which I've already made a mess of. Yay! <laughs> Did I you get it wet? I it upside down to see if it's waterproof and it isn't. So you, you, you got it wet? Yeah. And I've got blue, blue. My wet pallet is now blue pallet. <laughs> <laughs> The blue, the blue paint I put onto it is run everywhere. But I'm learning. It's good. That's a new fun bit. Cool. Well, look at the bright side. At least you won't just pull your underpants. True, true. Please, not back on that again. Um, so I've finished. I've not really um, painted too much this week. But I did achieve the one of the most useful units that you could possibly have in a medieval army and then paint a lot of them. I've now painted eight more medieval levy bases. So um, I don't know why I yeah I don't know why I needed eight of them, but somehow in one of my bags of um, random lead, as we all do, um, I found I had thirty or so levy figures of guys with uh, guys ladies of with pitchforks, um, hoes, spades, and stuff like that. So they've all been painted up, so I can now choose between basically the, angry peasants essentially. Yeah, so as many some people um, say, um, Australians. Um, but otherwise, I've got them and I've got the religious mob. So depending on which army I go for, I can have the different style of living, which is quite cute. But what army one... that you're going to have that has more than, say, three or four levy, apart from some of the Chinese ones? I just have different, you know, for when I take them to a competition, I can have different levy for each game. 
So you can give them all a run out. It's Basically, so yeah. Have a look around. Yeah. I'm just waiting for Adam to say those those are rookie numbers. Sorry. Just waiting for Adam to say those are rookie numbers. Well, yeah. I was going to say so. If you painted them up because they were there and you wanted to paint them, fair enough. But if you just wanted a few levy, I've got about twenty medieval levy from the DBM days, which I would have quite happily given you eight because it would just save room and me draws, to be honest. Yeah. It was just one of those things. They've been sitting in my cupboard for, you know, I think, a couple of years. I don't know where I acquired them and just opened the box and went, oh, there you are. Oh, well, what? Like, so if you've got that many figures, it was probably probably more than a couple of years. So it probably goes back to Fog, Fog AM days. Oh, they're definitely from a Fog AM. I don't know who I bought them from, which brand or whoever they are from, but they're now painted up. They might be on a bring and buy shortly, but, you know, they're done. You ever find that once you've painted up some figures that you had in a in a bag or a drawer or something, that you put them on a base, you think, there we are, I've tidied up, I've streamlined a bit, whereas in fact they actually physically take up more room. But psychologically yeah. you think you've made more room. It's it's more of, yeah, they do take up more room, but at least they go from unmanaged objects in the bottom of a box to something that's in a nice busily tray and it looks more neat and tidy so my ocd feels a little bit happier yeah yeah that's right. it, 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 it makes space in your perception mind thing. to buy more figures yes because the rule is that that pile the the lead mountain at some point must be reduced even by a small amount before you can refill it lead monster must be fed oh it must be the one positive side i have had um after my frosting incident of uh, Matt vanishing my elephants and my oh, seven yeah. years hazards, mm. I recovered them. Oh, brilliant. So, so, did, you, did, you, did you use the technique Adam described to me? Maybe sham. Or no. was, was it the uh, Peter Webb spray, the, uh, spray ball again, subtlety? No. Um, so I deferred to the expertise of listening to Tamsin, a few pod, a few um, painters and a couple other people and basically just left them for a week and just gave up and went crying to a small corner. Um, and today the humidity wasn't too bad. So I um, chucked them outside. And one of the suggestions was, um, you know, wait for a nice day of uh, low humidity. Matt varnished them again. But when you as they start to dry, chuck them under, under a, um, a heat lamp, like a normal, normal light bulb. So I've got my um, painting light. It's not an LED. It's just a normal halogen light. And they just said by um, the recommendations where if you heat up the matte varnish, it removes the, the moisture that's got trapped somewhere inside it. Didn't sound like it would work. Um, and I've got almost all the frosting off. So the only bit of frosting you can see now is between the horse's legs and Let's face it, if you're going to look at that much detail, you, um, you need a real <laughs> hobby. Um, yeah, I, if that little bit of frosting that's left, I, you could just put, I put a wash over. I'm not really fussed anymore because you now look... You I look just call it style. It, it was like, it's just an effect you were looking for. Yeah. Mm. But I'm, I'm most happy that my elephants, all those beautiful new museum um, Z elephants, have all come up. So um, get the camera up. So let's see if this comes up. Yeah, yay. Yeah. Fun. Are those nice. the, the Z figures from what's we call it? Yeah, these are the new Z figures from our from museum. So um because their first generation elephant had this you know platform that sat on top of the, the huda and it just it was a bit flimsy, didn't really fit nicely. These new ones they fit nice. The um the elephant's got like a nice bronze helmet for a good headbutt. Um the horns have got rings on them, they've got tassels, which is always good. And um, 
quite a few different options there. So not that I needed more elephants, but you know, while you were there, I had to buy seven of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, they just kept Heresy. shouting by me, didn't they? Yeah, well, yeah, that, that's that's what elephants them. do. Yeah. They needed a they needed a good home and you were going to provide it. Definitely. So any other wargaming news? Has anyone had a game, played on tabletop simulator, bought anything? I bought some paint. Yeah, the same here. It wasn't very exciting, but I bought some paint. I had to buy some um uh what do you call stuff? Brush scape for basing, because I was running low on that. So that shows how much stuff I've been painting. Brush scape, go cool, blimey, that's old school. Well, I like it. The field, the um the coat d'arms one. Yeah. Uh, Makes it nice and textured. Then you dry, then yeah. I just dry brush it grey and um, bone colour. Then then throw the plastic, glue the plastic grass onto it. Grass onto it. I think I may have some of that from somewhere from when I began. <laughs> yeah, I think most of us have a bottle that's somewhere in the cupboard, just hiding in a in a corner. <laughs> Alrighty, well that's the end of the painting news. So. For today, we're having a look at um, the early Archimedes Persian lists, which Andy and I also then um, tried on Tabletop Simulator yesterday. So um, that was quite an uh, interesting challenge to see both of us brought our armies, and then we had a, a good four-hour four squabble uh, with much violence and bloodshed. And we even had. But let's not tell them how it ended until they've given their opinion. So no. let's see if they can work out which army might have won. How but many pounds did you do in four hours? Six. Oh, we, oh I, it was more than six. It was um, six uh, paired, ba- at least six paired bounds. Yeah. We got, we got war wagons halfway across the table. <coughs> we got war wagons nearly dying. <laughs> this means war. This means war. Sorry. Andy, this is your army list. Do you want to kick yep. off on your your ideas and concepts for sure. the Archimedes Okay, Persians? well, I, I would start off with, um, what's the minimum I have to have of anything? And in this list, it's you've got to have three Persian and Mede cavalry with bow. You have to have at least two Sparabara um, ordinary medium sword mixed bow units. And you have to have at least one light cavalry. So, uh, but you can also have the um, Immortals, which for 11 points give you a medium, mixed medium sword bow, which is elite in shooting and at ordinary in fighting rather than mediocre. So I thought they were worth having. So my thought processes was to have one solid command based on Immortals and Sparabara, um, and then one heavy cavalry shooting corps with a few bits added onto it, and then a sort of small ambushy core to keep the enemy guessing as to what we might get up to. And if you take the Cyrus, the great option, you get a strategist and you also then get access to other funky stuff, which really be rude not to use things like scythe chariots, camels and war wagons. And I've never used scythe chariots or war wagons before. So I thought that that might be a laugh. So um, the first core is Cyrus and all the fancy toys uh, plus the um, Immortals and Sparabara. So I've got two Sparabara, three Immortals, one War Wagon, uh, two Light Infantry units, which in hindsight I might have used a bit better. Uh, then a 
a smelly camel core, basically, with two mediocre medium camels and one light camel, light, light bow camel and size chariot. And part of the thinking was that the uh, war wagon would hold off one flank of the infantry, the camels would hold off the other flank of the infantry, and you, whatever Simon had probably wouldn't be too keen to charge into three elite bows and two ordinary bows, um, knowing there were you know camels lurking on one flank to hit him in the flank if he tried. The camels could also lend support to my cavalry corps, and I thought that being camels, they might discombobulate enemy infantry. Um, I've got two ordinary LMI bows, one in the running round uh, small corps and one with the cavalry. And then moving to the cavalry corps, I've got a brilliant commander. I've got two elite heavy cavalry bow, two ordinary heavy cavalry bow, a cheap Indian cavalry, mediocre medium cavalry, um, a light cavalry and um, a LMI bow for shooting support. So that gives me 22 proper units and the size chariot and an initiative of four. I thought that was quite good. Good initiative. Initiative yeah. of four. As a comment, I'd say you've got too many of the mixed bow units to get. I mean, five Sparabara. I mean, the Immortals are the machine guns of this army. They're the, it's, it's a sort of similar army to the Ottoman army we discussed a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, I've taken um, three of them. I've taken the full, full, full uh, complement. Yeah, Oh, it's three, oh, three is the maximum you can have. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think you do want the strategist with the scythe chariots. I'd take both. You can have two scythe chariots, can't you? Yeah, but I'd have to find three points from somewhere else. Yeah, I'd find them. Because I think if, if you can have scythe chariots, two of them together are really good together. And put the light foot in front of them to protect them. Yeah, that's why I didn't do... That's what I failed to do. But I'll, yeah. I'll know for the next time. The only thing I'd say is, um, the, I mean, the, the second command, which is nice because it can go in an ambush, um, which would be quite fun. It, it lacks a bit of oomph on there because the only thing there you've got, which is any cop really, is the javelin man. That's just a ticking around command to sort of keep the enemy guessing yeah. as to what it might have. But the, the thing is, though, the, the dick around command, you haven't got enough that's going to be a threat. You've got enough that it's tempting to go and steamroller it but yeah. he can't get away. It's going to be sort of like hiding in the terrain. Mm. But if you've got something that can go in the terrain and terrain worthy, it's going to be stomping that. I completely agree. I think it needs yeah. to be... Need, if you're going to have a small, as we're calling it, dicking around command, um, it needs to be something with heavy cavalry, elite... Or, or, or something, something like which can easily run away. You could just... Yeah. Like light cav. Light cav, bit of medium cav, but... Well, the, the problem is... Yeah, I'd have I'd have swapped out a couple in your third command uh, for the second command and then um, used all that infantry and then uh, had one small command with like a, a medium cavalry, uh, maybe a couple of lights, and then have that infantry in with the heavy cavalry bow. Then you've got a brilliant commander, which could actually make use of that. I'd turn the dicking around command to be ordinary included, which you can do with... Uh, some of the uh, medium cavalry or even heavy cavalry elite. Yeah, you can do, yeah. Uh, then you've actually got a little command. You save a few more points. And with a brilliant commander, you'd be able to use the bowmen to great effect to be supporting. So then you could actually have them in the terrain. So you could almost have two armies, one which can do terrain plus cavalry. So you can make the most of any terrain that's going on there. Um, so either the uh, bowmen are shooting to keep the other enemy 
uh, away, or you've got heavy cavalry shooting and retiring with the your bowmen there to take advantage of it because you've got only one bowman in the third. No, I've got, I've got I've got two bowmen. I've got one in the Dickin Around command and I've got one in the cavalry command. Well, that's what I mean. You've only got one in the cavalry command. If you'd taken the one out of the other one mm. uh, and just did a dick it around, you could have had two bowmen. Two bowmen are a lot better because then you could focus them down onto one item. Mm. Sorry, Andy, also, I think um, what Peter meant, meant to say was, what would you do against a line of uh, knight chariots coming at you? What would the... Um, against who? Yeah. Against which command? Against any of them. Well, in this period, it'd be more sort of like a line of classical Indian elephants, can I? Or elephants, obviously. I was going to say elephants next, but you might, <laughs> I mean, being, being slightly more serious, um, in this period, you might still be getting late Bronze Age um, being whacked up by um, heavy knight chariots. Um, have you got anything that can fight them? Um, not really, no. Um, because you don't, you, the only heavy infantry you can get with this army is mediocre heavy spear and I don't think it's worth having. Andy, I'm not taking your excuses, mate. If you can't fight knights know. and you can't fight elephants, I mean, what's the point of the army? Well, it's what they it had. wouldn't be too bad against <laughs> elephants. Because he's got a few javelins. Well, your wallwagon could take on a, a knight. You know, no sensible knight's going to want to charge into a wallwagon, is it? Uh, the scythe chariot can do a lot of damage to an elephant. Oh, yeah. And for, for three points, it can wipe out an elephant very quickly. And it can keep going on and on as well. I think that's. I think I, I go with Pete's point of putting, including a general somewhere that gets you the next side of chariot. Yeah. Um, so what would you put in the second core then? Would you? Um, well, I think. You, uh, you know, I think the thing. The thinking was that was possibly send it on a flank march through terrain as a possibility, or hide in an ambush or something. I think with. We should have a look at um, Simon's army and see what's in his army, and then we can comment on what. But I think I'm, I'm interested to see who won in the competition between the two of you. Well, have a look at his army, and then you can see what you think. Actually, just before we go on, the other thing I would say, Andy, is um, Phil Barker's got a lot to answer for with his uh, early Achaemenid list, allowing the ward wagons and scythe chariots. It's um, it's kind of fancy. It's been it's hanging around ever I since. Think. WRG, whatever edition you first used it in, and it's like um, usually I would go be going with lovely models, got to get them in, but it's um, I don't know, it's something that annoys me. No, it's, and that's nothing to do with you, obviously. That's, well, that's, I've, I've never, I've never used an Archimedes before. I haven't even got the figures, so this is just this is what came up on the list, and I thought let's see what we. Yeah, can no, I'm just there. putting that out. I'm just putting my annoyance are, out there. Are they right. war wagons yeah. are fancy for the Persians then? Yeah. So Cyrus fought a battle against the Lydians um, when he was, this is, we're going back to Croesus and he's turning everything into gold because we did his army earlier on in the podcasts. And so there's a battle because I had to look into this. As Adam says, this is, you know, what, where do you get all this sort of weird toys going on? And there's a battle with Cyrus was in, um, it was almost a siege battle. And Cyrus did use um, what were siege towers, mobile siege towers in a battle and uh, had the scythe chariots and all that. So it, there, is, there is sort of some precedent, if you believe the ancient sources. Which but it was kind of a one-off rather than sort of standard operating procedure. It was a one-off battle, yes. Yeah. Right. Oh, well, right. Let's look at Simon's list. 
So here's my here's my version of the list. So like I do with many of my armies, I look for what's the shiniest troop possible in the army list, whether it's effective or, or not, and then build the army around those. So I went for Cyrus as well to get the war wagons and the side of chariots. I did go for two of them and I split them across two commands. So the idea was one command, um, it's going to be a very big mounted one. So you had a Sparabara to run around as the medium swordsman bowman to either shoot or hide in a bit of terrain and, and annoy any light foot coming around the side. Then you had four of the heavy cavalry bow, all the leaps. So one's the guardsman, the other three are just the normal heavy cavalry upgraded. I then went for just a bit, for a bit of fun, I went for the high quality light camel bow mediocre to provide the light horse support. And the idea for them was not really to get into combat, um, but when the, the line of the heavy cavalry bow contacted, the light cavalry could then advance to provide support and start um, disrupting everybody, which was good fun. And I love scythe chariots. I just think they're a stupid idea and I've got to have more of them. You know, I've done them, I've had stampeding cattle and elephant armies and any other army I can get them in. I just like the idea of a scythe chariot. Yeah. There is one, one, just one slight query, Simon. Was your army legal? No. So, um, because <laughs> <laughs> ah, the bed. So I realized I needed, needed the strategist, but there's an easy solution. I can ditch my, as always, my levy. Um, who yeah, the levy never even did anything. So then the central command, I had the um, two, two immortals, but I had four Sparabara. And the idea was you'd have the Sparabara, immortal, Sparabara, immortal, Sparabara, this nice four wide of bow swordsmen who could hopefully join up with the other commands. You have five bow advancing up the center of the table just to really annoy anybody. Yes, if a line of cavalry came against it, they're in a world of pain. Um, but it also had a scythe chariot just to really annoy uh, mounted armies. So, because um, people always seem to be a bit wary of a scythe chariot. Then there was a few light foot gentlemen and a gentleman as filler just to wander around. If I had some terrain, I'd throw them in there. And then the other command, command three, the idea for this one was purely a blocking command, being that I knew I was going to be playing against um, Andy's Persians and it'd be a mounted command. I had a feeling. The idea was I was going to put all the both war wagons and the I did have some of I had one of the Lydian heavy spear mediocre, but also two Scythian bowmen as a command with a couple of light horse. So they could basically anchor a flank, you know, trying to get um, deal with two war wagons that have gone into a nice column really slows down some cavalry. Um, which for the two, when Andy and I did get close, we both managed to get um, each war wagon down to one point of being destroyed by just bow and war wagon firing. So it was like watching two battleships in a World War II uh, movie, just proceed to blow the crap out of each other. Um, Bowmen were shooting each other and um, all good fun. So I'm surprised that neither of you went for i think julian did a version of the persians i don't know if it's this version or the later list where he had i think 30 units and what he did was actually mix up all three commands so there was a bit of everything it was like lit literish all sorts uh, across the commands 
where he'd have everything mixed into everything else. But he took advantage, I think, of the Greeks because you can have the heavy spear mediocre and it means you can get an absolute uh, load. Uh, I was thinking of suitable adjectives. Of, um, load, of heavy spearmen, mediocre, who just basically suck up a line and would happily march into virtually anything. Um, meanwhile, you're just overwhelming them with the flanks. So quite a lot of the armies in this period, this would actually be quite a large one. Most of us are like just getting into the 20 mark. So his idea was that you just sort of overwhelm them. Um, fine, you could lose some dross, but you'd have the heavy spear to just, you know, soak up pun punishment. Um, and then you can actually uh, surround them and do a load of damage. I'm guessing that's probably the later version. Because the later version, you've got a load of real rubbish and you, I think, you, you know, without even trying, you end up with about 25 units. Yeah, well, on this version, you can still do the Greek allies. So you could have four downgraded, you know, mediocre hip-hoptites. So they'd be like six each for four of those. Um, then you start adding in a load of javelin men, a load of bowmen. Um, you know, you already got some of the mediocre stuff. Uh, but you can also go do your Lydian's heavy spear mediocre. <coughs> so it's it's like I don't know. It's it's because you've. Um, I think it was um, Adam. Maybe it's like he was saying on the previous list. It's like, well, where's the punch point? Uh, you don't really have a lot of punch points because the heavy cavalry bow elite doesn't have impact. So you've got to try and draw them down with shooting. So but this is basically a shooting army. So either you're doing the shooting army and then you've got the war wagons to absorb. The other way is you start using the heavy spear to sort of like absorb a lot of punishment while you uh, overwhelm them going through the edges. Yes, if you look at the, the army list for the Archimedes Persians, they don't get any um, impact cavalry. So even if you go for the Greek ally, which is, which is an internal ally, you get a bunch of medium cavalry, which you can down, downgrade a mediocre, and some um, heavy spearmen. So it's the, it looks like to be the, the later one, uh, later Archimedes Persian, where you get um, heavy cavalry uh, impact. You can um, get the light cavalry bow elite, um, scythe chariots again. You can get a lot of the medium, a lot of the mediocre troops that you were talking about. Um, plus you can get the Lycian uh, allies and the Saka allies as well. So, um, but yeah, with the with with the army choice of um, it is a bow shooting army. I thought, you know, getting almost three quarters of the army as being bow or armed with a bow and be able to shoot. Andy and I were able to dish out a heck of a lot of firepower. There were, you know, most of the army walked off with markers on it. Can I ask? And this is a less facetious question than my one about the line of knights for elephants. Um, how do you think, and this is a genuine quest for knowledge actually, how do you think either of these armies would do against an historical matchup of a hoplite army if you were sort of like sat opposite someone that had a load of spear? How, how, how do you reckon that would work? Um, if you, you'd, you'd work the flanks with, with the cavalry command. Okay. But that's the first thing you'd do. You, 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 if you're going to fight a Greek hoplite army, you're going to outnumber them in cavalry, in quality of cavalry. And you get work onto one flank, and then you, you go forward with the bowmen. If they come forward in the middle, they're coming onto a, a, a more powerful force on their flank. 
that would be how I would see it anyway. Yeah. I think if the, the Greek spearmen had, you know, if the Greeks had um, some good terrain, like a, a waterway to anchor a flank on, they could storm the, their spearmen right down the table and come right up to you. Being that all, most of the Archimedes, uh, their foot are mediocre because they're mixed units. Once you get the spear into it, it's going to be very painful for the um, Archimedes. So it's all about those two to three turns coming in. You can get enough uh, shooting in to drop the, the spearmen coming in. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can find, but Simon, if you can find a field to put your, for, to put, to put your medium swordsman in, then that's going to make things very difficult for the, um, uh, for, for the, for, for the hoplites because they're going to get seriously downgraded. Uh, you're not going to be fighting any worse. And meanwhile, you can still shoot out with full effectiveness. So you could, in fact, if there's a field, you can make a bastion where no sensible hoplite spear army is going to want to come near. Ah, you just go straight over them. Send the heavy infantry into the field. Well, spearmen, spearmen, are down, spearmen are down two. Yeah. You've just they're got... now at minus one. Your swordsman is at one mediocre. I'll take those odds any day. I've, I've, I've come to believe that the um, fear of terrain for heavy infantry is a mistake. But I, I agree. I think against a, a proper Greek army, you can have, the Greeks can, if you go for the early Greeks, they can be heavy infantry, spear, armour. Well, there can, can't be that many of them, can there? Which gives Cause them Because they're, they're 10 points a pop. Yeah, but you, means you but can pull it a lot of the Greek ones, you can get some uh, pretty decent medium units. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can take a lot of javelin. If, you t- if I'm going to play a Greek army, I would take um, the Phokian ally with the heavy artillery and have two commands on either flank with um, heavy infantry with armour and things. And I'd take quite a few of the javelin men to use in terrain and things I've been looking at. I mean, basically, you don't see Greek hoplite armies because spear get a very heavy, bad deal in wargaming. And um, I think there is a way of using it, but it's mm. to be this. I- I think so who won then? Who do you think won? I'll say. I'm ask who won. You know, I think we should we should say. Oh, who okay, won. before we say who won, which of those armies would you, if you had to choose between using one of those armies, which one would you choose? Show me, show me Andes again. Oh, tough decision. Because I've got a strategist. Uh, I'd say Andes because it's legal. I'd go for Andes. Are you saying that Simons isn't legal? Is that because you, because he's got so, hasn't got Cyrus as a strategist? We're not clear whether we needed Cyrus as a strategist. Um, no, you need, don't. I right. Okay, then it's legal. If you just to play in the game, we thought we'll let's assume he, that's a detachment from his army. But yeah, if not, it would. Or, or it's just Cyrus on a bad day. Yeah. Because yeah, not every not every general who was who would be ranked as a strategist. Consistently, like fair enough. He could have been suffering from piles like Napoleon or something. Yeah, yeah. Who won Alexander with a hangover? Right. So, um, so, so Tamsin, who do you think? Which army would have you chosen then? Uh, the sound of a bottle of beer opening. Simon's got. I Simon's got the two. I the two side chariots. They're fun. Yeah, I, I'd probably go with Simon's. Okay. And Adam? Well, to be perfectly honest, gentlemen, it's early on today. I played tennis for about an hour and a half for the first time since the lockdown. 
and my body is really really aching it's just like it really hurts i've been using muscles that just haven't been used well try your brain muscle you probably won't use that for tennis. well no because i've been sat here and i've been sort of like going blah 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 i'm drinking beer but i haven't really been following or paying attention um <laughs> or thinking about it we're on the dice much. or something let's come come big so, um i would go um I don't because like two side chariots are cool, but they're in different commands. So I that would is. go with I I I don't know. Get off the feds. Um, all right, show me the other army then. Let's let's actually take it seriously. Show me the other army. This is Andy's. Um, I would go with Simon's because not all the shooty sparrow barrow immortals in the same command, so they can be in different places or the same place. Um, depending on what you want, whereas Andy's put them all together, so it's a lot. No, harder I've got, I've got an LMI. I've got at least one LMI bow unit in each command. I don't care. Oh, fair enough. I was just correcting your illusions. That's all. No, no, the um, this immortals and Sparrow Barry are very good yeah. troops, but just that um ability to put them together or split them up as needed. Um, yeah, is all what right. I'm making that decision on, and I'm not saying it's a great decision. No, fair enough. Okay, you come. We asked you to make a decision. You've done it right. Well, Simon, tell me who won. So we had a stonking battle yesterday, and construction. No, it was a, a very convincing win to me. So um, both lines met up in an almighty clash of violence. We um, both Andy's and my heavy cavalry wings deployed pretty much opposite each other. The my Spirabara command was opposite his, and then his little command had to deal with my two war wagons and the bowmen. You could see the poor swordsman look at it and go, I'm not going anywhere near that. Um, so, you know, the flanks sort of just annoyed each other. Um, scythe chariots were, were were released and weren't particularly effective, but they were annoying enough to just, just to have fun. And then when my heavy cavalry line advanced, managed to get a couple of cheeky shots and knock out most of Andy's light uh, horse on the flank, then the lion went in with um, the light horse's camel over over support or you know, um, support on the flanks. Um, Andy's mounted uh, mounted command started dropping rather quickly. Then between both of us, we were having mounted charging each other in the flanks and all that. Um, it was um, quite violent. I think you you definitely had the um, you definitely had more luck in the early shooting, and I think that made a difference. I mean, I was I was overdue a kicking from the dice gods anyway due to some recent games I've had, but. You know, you just I mean, you definitely had, you know, by about the end of the first or second turn, I had about three or four guys wounded and you'd won, I think. Yeah, I think your your command pivots were quite spectacular. I think in one of your commands... They were bad to begin with. No, no, you they didn't were, roll higher than a one for the first four commands, so I was quite appreciative of that. This means war. Right, so welcome back. I can see um, Mr. Saunders has got more beer. What is it? What is it this week? Usual Hefeweizen beer. We have Stefana. I saw Andy's. Uh, sorry, um, Adam's moved up to the the one powers of the the gold hobgoblin beer. Very nice it is too. Tams and Andy and I, uh, Andy and I are on the whiskey. That's yeah. storm. So I'm, I'm guessing Peter, you must be on the the soy skinny latte. Yes. <laughs> I'm not promoting any um, companies like that. Right. So, 
this time, um, since Tim's not here for me to, to call me in, um, here is the galgarandom.org to pull up the list for next week. Well, hey, list, effect, courtesy of Adam. list 234 well, French, French ordinance. Oh, oh, nice oh. Too classic. Who oh. wants to go for some pure, good fashioned French heavy metal? Well, we need to, two people haven't had to go for a while. Whose um, turn is it? Uh, Adam? Girls day. Let's, let's I, last week. I went let's last week. I'm happy to do okay. French ordinance. So I went last week. I think that means it's the army I've got, so I'm happy to do it. I would say Peter should go because there's bloody knights involved and we've got to get that bugbear out. It's just, of it's just so. I know, but. Peter uh, one because it's got knights in it. And All right. I think Adam should do the other one because Adam used this in Bournemouth and Adam's got some some use of this. Yeah. Yeah, Adam and I had a really good game in Bournemouth the competition. Remember that? We were first and second at the time and you just you'd narrowly won that game and it was a cracking game. I do, yeah, no, it was it was good. I, I yeah, that, I enjoyed that competition. Yeah. Overall, but Come no, on, Adam. I know you it's went fun to use. Use. It again. Yeah. I was using that as well, yeah. Excellent. So we've got next week, we'll be talking about the French ordinance and how many different ways you can carve up that army. Yeah. I, think, I think everyone has their own different view of how many Swiss knights, longbow, bow combinations you can get into that. Um, Ten openers, what not. Oh, yeah. Anyway, I was actually using a Swiss ordinance army um, last week against um, a very nice American chap called David Ray, and he was using Hungarians. This is on Tabletop Simulator. And... Um, I had 20 units and he had 24. So, yeah, 24. And um, I, I beat him. I, I lost eight points in total. Wow. Well done. Uh, but this, and also, part of it was the fact I chose to defend and I managed to get the terrain larger where I wanted it. I had a field in, on the right-hand sector and a hill in the middle. And in the hill in the middle, I put my Italian condottieri allied command. And... On the right-hand side, I had my foot command, which was two long bows, a, a mediocre crossbow, um, a, sw a Swiss pikeman, and two halberdiers, and a, a light infantry bow. And, you know, the enemy didn't want to come anywhere near my... With being Hungarians, and mostly the guys were on horses, they didn't want to get stuck into anything near the um, infantry. And, in fact, my infantry chased off the guys that came up near them and shot them to death. So you'd say that... Um... You know, the uh, use of terrain in ADLG really makes an effect then. It did have an effect. It was, I found it very useful, yeah. And I don't think my opponent did himself justice to, uh, in the game because he brought up this skirmish screens to start shooting at my um, conduct area in the middle. Um, but he didn't have the heavy knights behind them close enough. So it meant that I could cut in behind his skirmishing like cavalry and then squash them with knights. And since they were on the lower bit of the hill and I was coming downhill with impact knights into um, light cavalry bow, that, that didn't go too well for him. So uh, I know several of us around the table played a fair few tournaments between us. Uh, Simon, what, what's your sort of like key thing for using terrain? It depends on the, the style of army that I'm using. If it's an army, like say either an elephant army or a big medieval army where you don't have, have the, the fluid mounted to run around, trying to get um, either the waterway, a, a gentle hill with some bad terrain on top of it, or if you can, a village. Really helpful to lock the, lock one flank down if you can, because that gives you something to anchor on, because otherwise, if you, can, um, if you have a, a small medieval army and someone can get into one of your flanks, 
it can really cause some havoc in your army. So if I can, lock down a bit of terrain and then try to wheel or anchor on that point and swing around to really try to push off the army and or at least get things in the right place. How about you, Dave? Do you um, you oh. normally put a fair bit of thought into your terrain, don't you? Terrain's, terrain's a massive, massive question. And I think with any, with, we're, all, we're all playing a lot of competition games. And I think one of the difficulties with any sort of competition set of rules like we play is that it's a whole subject. Learning how to use terrain itself takes a couple of years probably to understand completely. Um, so I think there's different styles. I think one of the big issues is with what we play in ADLG is if very often people are going to use planes as the um, terrain choice, which is the sort of agricultural sort of thing. And in that you've got the one hill. So quite often it's who gets the hill on their side of the table. Do they put a field on it? So if you're using an Ottoman army or you're using an Achaemenid army, as we've talked about in recent weeks, if you can get a gentle hill in the middle of the table and get a field on top of it and occupy it with immortals or janissaries who are elite bowmen, then you're more or less winning the game from the very start. Um, the other thing is, if you're using knight armies, you need, you've got to create a clear space for your knights to run through. And um, I think there's a whole subject in itself about using elephants and fields. Yeah. Creating, I mean, we actually sit there and talk about having a, giving yourself an elephant runway. So if you can get a load of fields in the centre of the table, you can just run your elephant straight down the middle from what we call a death star, which is an elephant supported by medium infantry. Then you, oh. you're on the winner there. So, so terrain's vital. The, the, the thing that speaking to several players and the way I look at it myself um, is that the terrain is basically another part, uh, as you were saying, Dave, because of the tournaments, um, it's another part of your army in itself. So first thing is you've got to have a plan. For the army that you're using, you need to have a plan and what you'd want to use and not use and why. Um, we mentioned a few of them, Dave, where, you know, if you've got shooty cav, you don't want that much terrain. Um, if you've got different types, you want to um, reduce it down. But that's just one aspect. Then it's like, well, what's your opponent bringing? What are they turning up with? And how you might want to mitigate that depending on their list. So you have different armies within certain periods um, that you're expecting and who you're up against. You know, if it's going to be a camel army up against, uh, don't put a load of brush down because it's perfect for them. So there's that mitigation factor. So, you know, if you think the opposition is going to turn up with elephants, you end up putting, um, you know, plantations on a hill sort of thing just to really mess them up because, you know, the elephants suddenly have a problem with that. Uh, certain elements like that you start thinking about and you get used to different things. Um, and then it's uh, some people actually then build on using the train as a tactical advantage by then having the strategist, but, opting to defend because if you're defending you know the terrain that you definitely can choose from um, and then you can actually then deploy a fair few ambushes so you can actually have certain surprises because people don't have the ability to say, dismount against elephants if they're all hidden for example so you can start getting quite complex with it but it all starts with a basic plan if you've got a basic plan to build around 
um, you can really cause some havoc. I've had some cracking games against some people. Inyaki is a great one. I was doing really well at Reading. Got to the final table up against Inyaki. He's got a knight army. I've got a shooty bow cav. Uh, he managed to get some great big terrain down, impassable mountains, and narrowed down the terrain to basically a two-foot lie, um, even though he had one uh, ally go unreliable. Um, there was nothing I could do. It was my shooty cab against his knights, which didn't turn out well. So, you know, it's you start off with the plan, how you're going to use your army, what bases you can do around it, and then if you don't get the terrain, what you're going to do apart from just charge forward. Definitely agree. And you've, got to, you've got to build flexibility in your plans because A, you don't know what the terrain is going to end up as, and B, you don't know what your opponent is going to have in their army. So, you know, you want something that's a bit, bit more than a one-trick pony in terms of the strategy and the terrain. But I often find that I have a plan for the terrain and a hope of the terrain, and it all goes wrong as soon as the terrain appears on the table, <laughs> which I find really annoying, but there you go. Any plan, that, any plan that's based around terrain is almost by definition a bad plan. Yeah. Because yeah, there are going to be games where you don't get the terrain you want. The only... Pass I would give on that is step-based armies where they've got strategists and they're going in with a sort of like an initiative of five or six. You can sort of like, you can, you should be able to get more or less the terrain that we want. But usually any plan of, I need this terrain to make this army work yeah. is a bad plan. Yeah. Oh, the other thing, the... sorry, the other thing, the other thing I would also say about terrain, and this is something I've seen quite often, against people that are sort of like middling players. Um, they have the idea of a rough terrain command or rough terrain troops. And they see rough terrain and they get it. And they jump in it and their rough terrain troops are in the rough terrain. And quite often it's a case of, well, well done. You've put 80 points of your army in that piece of terrain. What are you going to do with it? And... The, with people that are still learning, the answer is, I'm going to sit in it and hold it because that's my rough terrain troops. And it's like, well, you need to, that's only step one of a good plan. Step two is you get the terrain, then how are you going to develop what you're going to do from there? So that's the important bit. Even if you get the terrain you want, even if you dominate it's not that not in itself. Yeah, even if you dominate that terrain, how are you going to leverage that to make your army win, um, which is the tricky bit, but that's the bit that you've got to be able to answer in your head. I will leverage it by, and if you can't finish that sentence, you're probably on a hiding to nothing. You see, if people do that, it's just hilarious because then you just tie them down by having some sort of either heavy cavalry or my favorite medium knight. You sit there and stare at them just outside of their range, trying to provoke them to come yeah. out. And if you do step out, you stomp on them. But yeah. you know, yeah. well, if they all swarmed out and took your one or two knights on, they'd take them down. But they just have this fear. They look at the, they, you can see them looking at the stat sheet and go, ooh, knight versus medium infantry, I'm going to get stomped. And you're like, fine, okay, so I've got, say, 20 points. You've tied up, say, your 70 or 80. Meanwhile, I'm stomping the rest of their army. Yeah, and it's not necessarily a bad idea because it, if it's a case of, you can force your opponent to have to try and advance past that terrain 
and expose expose flanks, for instance, that's that's a good plan. Or you you're using that terrain to advance to get past the enemy's yeah. flank. On the, there, there, there is positives to it, but you've got yeah. to be able to answer that question. Yeah, Dave um, Saunders and I we had a um, we were playing a competition up in uh, Burton this year. I think it was our last competition of the year. Um, it was the doubles competition. So it was um, Richard, Richard and Dave, um, Kevin and myself were on the top table and we have the two armies were having a squabble and Dave and Richard got this one bit of terrain right in the key place where they were able to uh, put in a couple of medium foot in there or something like that. And it just anchored the table just enough so that um, it stopped us advancing too far into their into their table side to get into them because we knew as soon as we crossed that magic line, that medium swordsman or bowman who wasn't really, really going to do much against you know eighteen or so cavalry was able to turn the flank and just come right down the side. So it was um, when the train worked, it worked quite nicely, but it did slow our army down for quite a while uh, until Dave managed to break my flank and then shoot us to pieces. Yeah. That sounds a bit like um, the experience that Ian and I had back against Dave and Richard at um, Burton. <laughs> it's good yeah, to see so us. My experience with terrain is that whenever I need some terrain on my side of the table, it I never get it. I think you might I might thinking back a couple of years. You might remember the club had the a biblical era. B4 AD, wasn't it? Yeah, and I had Nubians, so I needed terrain. I think in one game out of five, I got a piece of terrain on my side of the table. And it was a gentle hill with no cover. <laughs> ow, 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 ow. I had fun in one. But the problem, uh, the, pro the problem with your army was that it was Nubians. Yes, well, besides that. <laughs> I, I love to that is its commander. <laughs> that isn't, um, you know, they say there's no dark armies in ADLG. Well, I think Nubians come fairly close. And probably well, Libyan. Um, I had fun at, um, what's the, the one, um, the, 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 the tournament at the school near Milton Keynes? Roll call? Yeah. Um, there was a sort of like biblical sort of ancient one there. And uh, or feudal, I can't remember which, but I basically turned up with um, a camel army, and therefore everyone was freaked out by it and <laughs> didn't want to put uh, brush down and everything else. And oh. yeah, so but I had the choice to dismount, so basically I ended up just dismounting. So instead of impetuous camels, um, I ended up with a medium uh, impact foot um, with spear, which consequently wiped out almost every army that it w went up against uh, because I was just able to dismount because they were building the terrain and everything else structured around a load of camels charging in and I just had a load of medium foot charging instead. <laughs> oh, there are certain armies which are designed for being you know there's there's sort of you can use Frankish and um, some of the impetuous heavy cavalry armies in the dark ages where they can dismount as an alternative against certain things you know, turns it means you've almost got two armies in one. Yeah, which yeah. is perfect when you're going up against, say, uh, elephants or something. Exactly. Just absolutely hilarious. They think you've got your sorted. That the elephants are going to stomp in, 
all of a sudden you've got a load of um, impact medium foot that are just going to go straight through their um, um, side commands. Well, that's kind of spoiler alert, but that's what, one reason I like the Condottieri ally for the um, Ordnance French, because if you come up against a foot army, the Ordnance, the Condottieri knights can get off their horses and fight as heavy foot. And if you come up against a bunch of knights, they can stay on the horses and fight as mounted. So you've got um, a lot of flexibility there. Fantastic. Right, so that's a quick introduction into how to use ADLG terrain. I'm sure we could do a, a four-hour in itself. I'm sure we could do a four-hour podcast special on, on this. Yeah, but, um, I think we could sit there and sit there and get into some serious discussions. Certain army, uh, and we haven't even mentioned oh. gullies yet. Oh, definitely gullies. Elephant love. This means war. for Andy's Quiz and our favourite music. Before we do the quiz, I've got to say, I've actually downloaded that piece of music. And no, that, that's my party music, you know what I mean? <laughs> if, it's, if it's with kids, Musical chairs, I'm using that. If it's with grown-ups, when I want people to leave, that's going on. <laughs> it's just like really, really handy party music. Okay, so note to self, whenever we finally get down to Bournemouth and um, you know, yeah. Ed, 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 yeah, Ed, he starts playing that music, it's time to leave. Time to leave, yeah. <laughs> or better still, not me, that'll really annoy <laughs> Right, are you ready for the quiz, guys? Uh, oh, we'll, yeah. just wait, we'll just wait for um, Dave to come back. Yeah. I'm just don't drink the paint, Dave. It's not good for you. Yeah, it's just annoying me. Sorry, it's acrylic. Oh, that's all right then. Right. Andy, over to you. Okay, last week, the quiz was called Mad Men, and I asked, who are the following three odd fellows? Number one, the king who joined the first crusade by sailing to the Middle East, helping to capture Acre with his fleet, sailing back to Constantinople and then home overland. He later went mad, imagining that there were fish swimming in his bathtub, and according to the author Dan Jones, quote, was prone to descend into bouts of manic cackling, which rendered him helpless. Anyone know who that was? Not Frederick. That's a clue. That was like Dave on a night out. Yeah. No, we did think it was members of the uh, Central London Club, but we did remind, I did remind you guys there are libel laws, so... Clive you know, the First? No. It wasn't actually. No, his name was Sigurd the First of Norway. Never heard of him. Well, you have now. Sigurd, Sigurd. Sigurd, S-I-G-U-R-D. I'll have to check him out, actually. Yeah, okay. We read Dan, book, Dan Jones' books, Crusaders. It's, it's quite good. Um, right, the second one is, the, some of you probably know this one, the Napoleonic commander who used to chew garlic, rub gin on his chest, fought a battle two days after being unhorsed in another battle at the age of 80, and suffered delusions that a French Imperial Guard grenadier had made him pregnant and that he was going to give birth to an elephant. Lucia. Lucia. That's the one? I knew all that, but apart from the pregnancy thing. Yeah, he had his like... delusions. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He, he's fantastic. He was... you, you start reading yeah. some stuff, he's an absolute loon. He's fantastic. That's the bloke you want in yeah, charge of your army. You want to take Lucia with you, don't you? <laughs> yeah. He's like, 
you know what he's going to do. He's just going to charge him. Forget it. Yeah. Bit of garlic. Yeah. But he also he also had a very pragmatic attitude to some things. In 1814, um, when the uh, Allies fought in a place called Langres, which is the watershed of France, and the French were driven off, Marshal Schwarzenberg said, we've got to garrison this place. It's the watershed of France. And Blücher said, the only significance of this place is if I stand here and take a pee, half of it goes into the Mediterranean and half goes into the Atlantic. Right. Yeah. So the third guy who we want to know about was the Confederate general who was a young infantry company commander engaged in a furious exchange of correspondence regarding the supply of uniforms to his company with the quartermaster of the fort, and he was the quartermaster. Later, during the Mexican-American War of 1847, his own troops tried to assassinate him by exploding a 12-pound artillery shell under his cot. The cot was destroyed, but he survived unscathed. And during the Civil War, his subordinate generals disliked him so much that they signed a round-robin round letter asking President Jefferson Davis to remove him from command of their army. I should know this, but I can't. Was that a hood? Because everybody thought he was a right knob. No. Okay. Braxton Bragg. Oh, Bragg, yeah. yeah. I think if they put a statue up to him, the rebels would have blown it up. Never mind waiting till now. But anyway... Um, that was last week's questions. This week's questions is called Maids of Honour and it's all about ladies of distinction. Number one, this lady was appointed as a warrant officer by General George Washington after the Battle of Monmouth Courthouse in 1777, where she reportedly served as a crew member on artillery, American artillery after her husband was incapacitated. During the battle, a cannonball passed between her legs, removing the lower part of her skirt, to which she observed, that could have been worse. <laughs> a Monmouth Courthouse is also an interesting battle in the sense that it was the hottest day ever recorded in the USA at that time, and more troops died of heat stroke than of battle, battle damage and shot and shell. Oh dear. Right, so that's the first one. The second lady I want to know about is, armed with a pitchfork, this Welsh lady led a group of women who captured 12 drunk French soldiers who were part of the force which invaded Fishguard in 1797. <laughs> well... That does sound like a few nights we've had in Cardiff Central after our wargaming competition. Or that nights in Abergavenny. <laughs> well, that, in fact, that was when, Adam, you'll remember that, the crazy woman with the parrots. Oh, she was brilliant. She was she, 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 oh, Coming down <laughs> from the valleys, a gagging and a dripping. Oh, yeah, just that, like, that's one of the funniest stories ever. <laughs> that so, so Mad Welsh Woman is a, is a tradition then. Right, okay. And the third one I want to know about is, this Jewish widow became matron of the Chimborazo Military Hospital in Richmond, Virginia, during the American Civil War, and improved the recovery rate of patients by putting chicken soup on the menu. So that's, um, yeah, yeah, so that's down to uh, Jewish penicillin. That's it, chicken soup, cure most things. Don't think it cures a broken, uh, a, you know, a shot off leg, but it's good for most other things. Right, so those are the three I wanted to know about this week, and I'll tell you next week if you don't know the answer in the meantime. Come on, let's
so we're coming to the tail end of the podcast after you know almost two hours of fun and excitement and games. <laughs> we still run over two hours. Oh, give us a, um, if we if we talked a little bit more, bit more about terrain, I'm sure we could get four hours into it easily. So, Tamsin, what's in your on your painting table for next week? Right now, nothing. But as of tomorrow, probably. I use some more scatter terrain for Judge Shred. Things like jersey barriers, T-walls, things like that. I am starting my 28mm uh, Romans. I'm doing, uh, using Victrix, I'm doing Roman auxiliaries, 24 of them. It's, it's a little bit exciting. I'm just um, sticking them together now. It might be a slow process. But uh, the thing that I'm interested to see is they recommend undercoating in the main colour that you're going to paint because you don't have to paint it. The army painter thing. Yep. And it's like, okay then, I'll take your word. So I'm going to undercoat in gunmetal because there's lots of chainmail going on. So that's the uh, chainmail painted. Fine, brilliant, done deal. But I'm just a bit worried about painting on top of it. How does flesh, you know what I mean, go on top it of... It does quite well. Gunmetal's all that right. That depends on the paint. If you're worried, go, I go over the non-metal areas with something like a brown first. Yeah, I well, know, but then that just sort of like... Put two yeah. on, that, that sort of like The whole idea is to not have... Yeah, have to do that. So I'm genuinely interested to see um, how that works out. I, 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 there's a whole subject there. Of how do you paint chainmail, doesn't it? Because for me, I would always paint chain. If what I've learned from, you know, I think this and this is one of the first things you, as a war gamer, when you buy your first armies, painting the mail and things like that. What I've learned is undercoat it black, and then dry brush gunmetal over it so that pulls out the the, the mail oh absolutely and that's my that's my standard yeah technique. that's what i've so done I'm for you do that. but so i'm going with that i'm going all in on this what army painters say they can make it work have you, i can have believe you it, it do it done metal and put the dark tone in and that will sort of like go into the holes so I'm it does interested I, I've, to see. I've done it and it it works quite nicely if you just wanted to do a big batch and you just want to get it done you get the spray out get it sprayed the skin tone go, goes on all right some of the first romans i did i did uh, eight mil uh, plastic romans and you just give them a good spray um the skin tone goes on all right over it um because it's still quite thin the, the metallic and everything else it doesn't show through um because it's quite nice matte and gives it a base on it um and use the dark tone afterwards because it picks up the chain mail quite nicely and um deepens out the skin tones so you get stuff done pretty damn quickly if it's dark tone wash thin that down down before using it I, i'm just really? wondering um given that uh, tim's on holidays this week and he said he was going to do up his holiday place do you think he sprayed some walls with um halter black primer and just throw an army painter on it yes what color army painter would he use you know i mean do you use different oh. colors for different rooms He'd be using, uh, be using the inks. It's well, no, to be fair, I think Tim doesn't have to do it. It's like because he's, he's gone to stay um, in his country estates for a few weeks, so he's got staff to do Oh, I see, on. right. So I don't think he needs to use the rush job, you know what I mean? I, I think he's, um, I think he can delegate out. Oh, so he gets the butler to do it. The war games room in his uh, summer residence. Or um, the, the new isolation uh, centre. Yeah, exactly. Peter, 
What about you for next week? Um, I'm going to finish off facing my Austrians. I'm going to be getting the whole uh, army painter um, dark tone out, give it a gold splash across, then do the basing, then that's all done. And if I have time, I'm going to start on my Spanish Knights from Navarre. Hey! What's the count of those, Peter? Uh, 15 mil. So I'm just going to have a nice Spanish. Um, I've got some of the, how do you pronounce it? The gin, the uh, Ginettes. Yeah. Yeah. Some of those and some uh, medieval order knights and some Spanish knights. So they've got slightly different shields compared to the rest of my medieval knights. So I just thought I'd do something with a, a bit of um, colour to it just to make it stand out because otherwise some of them can just get a bit too generic. Is this an army that you can have a Moogle vase in? Yeah. Yes. Although I haven't had a lot of luck with them, uh, those, I've um, I've taken them before and got them stomped. So I think I'd probably only take one or two. I take well, them all. Depends. Uh, depends on which version, because David and I had a game a few weeks ago, and you, and your version of the army I think had two, didn't it? It was a Navarre. It's army my or favourite army. I use the Castilian version. Oh, Castilian, right? And, yeah. um, I, I mean, I, I I agree. I mean, you can't use the Almogavars as main battle troops. Yeah. What you've got to use them for is things which get round the back of things and get in the flanks, and then are devastating when they do that. And yeah, uh, and if anyone wants to be a smart ass and stick some uh, bowmen in the terrain, the Mugavars are great for going straight through them. The, uh, the feudal Spanish and the medieval Spanish are probably my favourite medieval armies. They really are. Yeah. Peter, you do know there's no elephants in, in that army? I do, but there's, medi but there's medieval knights. Oh, well, I suppose that's compensation, isn't it, really? Yeah. There is a, yeah. Medium nights. Plenty of medium nights. And impetuous medium nights, which makes it all so much more fun. You will yeah, just... absolutely. I'm, I'm with you there. I mean, my, uh, I, I think last time I did a, um, an Italian uh, Normans initially army, I think I managed to get about 11 knights in my army. There, there is something to be said about when you do, when you deploy those couple of commands of, you know, 10 or 11 knights as this wedge, and you go, here's a problem, deal yeah. with it, because it's going one way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if I have to turn, I'm in trouble. But just this idea of knights storming across the table, all pretty colours and banners, it does look beautiful. All right, Andy, what about you for your painting next week? Um, I'm going to be finishing off these Romans and then probably starting on ships of some kind. Any particular scale of ships? One-to-one scale? Beside the um, cruel sea ones, which I think are about one to 700, they're the... Um, uh, you know, coast, coastal MTBs and Schnell boats and stuff like that. Or it might be the 13000 Italian fleet. Um, one thing I like about Ital Italian ships in World War II, um, they've got on the front of them red, red and white striped barber pole uh, striped to the front, simply because it was to stop the Italian Navy bombing their own ships. It does look cool as well, that barber pole thing does look kind of... Yeah, um, especially if you guys out there singing songs and things, but... Uh, you know, it was basically to stop the Italian Navy because of, luckily the Italian Navy never actually hit anything, but the, the Italian Navy got fed up of being bombed by its own aircraft. Yeah, and the cruel seas. That's, they got bombed by, by, by Royal Air Force. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that was different. You can't really help that. But it was the Italian, I think the Italian Air Force took the view that, well, if we see any ships, they're bound to be the enemy, so we'll bomb them. And Mr. Saunders, any, any more samurai? That's well. There's a, there's a few little bases of samurai to finish up. Um, I think I'm cracking the back of this uh, Ottoman army, really. 
Um, so there we'll finish. So there's no, I mean, I've got no complete army projects left. That's the um, point here. So I'm sure, um, I'm sure your chariots will arrive. Yeah, there's, yeah, that's that's true. There's plenty of bits and pieces I can do. I mean, I've got a couple of bases of uh, impetuous monks to do for the samurai. Um, They're good fun. Chariots, as Andy says, the chariots, the next big project, because that's going to be a bit of a, a mission painting them up. Uh, there's a few camels left. There's a few Scythian heavy cavalry without armoured horses need painting, things like that. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see if or when the war and empire forged in battle order ever happens, because I know they're finishing their Kickstarter, and that's the final finality of their Kickstarter. So there's going to be a massive orders there, so that's going to be funky. I can just imagine this pallet delivery coming into Saunders flat, you know, um, two well, guys lifting it up the stairs and all that. When we are in Greece, I think the Greeks were ordering thousand-plus pounds worth of figures from them. Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, mean, I think I've, I've done... 150 another 150 another 80 so you know they, they, they it's, that that's been a really good project of theirs i mean long quickly if the quicker they go on to their next stage which i guess is going to have to be um medieval probably yeah i mean I, i'd love it to be biblical but i can't see it because biblical doesn't sell as well but so it's going to be medieval but they're um, probably back for to do some some some, some biblical eventually but it, I mean, it's, it's made me keep an eye on Kickstarter, I think. Well, these guys are War and Empire, the ones I'm painting. I, I, they're nice figures. Also, the, the pike, what I liked about the, the, the musty Seleucid pikemen is I managed to get 12 of them on, on a 40 mil square base. That's impressive. Yeah, and in, in three ranks of four. Three ranks of four is what you need on a... Yeah. yeah, but, you know, I didn't have to kind of fudge it in sort of four, three, four or anything like that. It was... I got four guys in each rank. Oh, I managed that with Zystom ones. They, they they go on there just about. Anything else for you, Dave? Uh, yeah. So the Ottomans we've done. War and Empire order is going to take forever. Um, chariots. Just I think it's going to be going through the back drawers of seeing what there's. There's some camps might need doing things like that. Oh, that's the other thing I've got. I've got a whole load of magnets. Loads of magnets. War bases are open again. So I can for new bases from war bases. I'm going to start to think about using small magnets for the whole army next time. Ooh. So that's the next one. You know, you, you could actually, you could, as long as you didn't get too dusty, you could then base an army on the side of a Bisley cabinet. You wouldn't then need to buy another one quite so quickly. That's true. You could magnetize an entire army to the size of the cabinet. I haven't thought of that. Yeah. <laughs> You'd probably get two down <laughs> each side, actually. Yeah, yeah. You could actually sort of. Uh, uh, I could just put all the like foot into one drawer and magnet, use the magnets on the side. Yeah, I can just see the the, the, the footage of that that drawer being opened. I, I, it really has reached a point where I have completely run out of busy drawers. And you, you just open the drawer; it looked like something out of uh, World War Z uh, movie, where <laughs> yeah. where the bodies are just piled up. Something out of, is trying to get out the wall. Is it Inception, where the world folds on itself. Yes. So for me on my table, I'm hoping this week I can get my, yeah, complete, nothing to do with 15 mil. I've got the, um, the one to 300 mil modern British army that I stripped off, uh, stripped back all the bad paint job. So I'm hoping, hopefully I can paint all their tanks and APCs up. They stripped um, off really well. This is the toothbrush the, army, yeah? This will be the toothbrush army. So um, lots of aerials and um, things like that. But the the paint the paint strip I used the that um, bio strip that I've talked about a couple of times, 
took all the paint job off completely. So um, even got down to all the the detail of the bogies and the tracks, they've all come back up again. So um, that should be good to paint up. And for something different, I'm gonna see if I can paint up the, I've got a few spare Renaissance figures for ADLGR. So I'm hoping to paint up a couple of 30 years, 30 years war Swedish salvo guys. So you know, the um, pike and shot with a regimental gun, couple of uh, generals, drummers and all that to make a couple of the nice iconic Swedish units. Yeah. You know, oh, like that's about all you can probably afford in the, in, in the point system, isn't it, I should think? Yeah, there's not, you know, not too many of them, but um, they are a, a nice looking figure. Yeah. So, uh, or a nice um, unit, so put a few banners and all that. Sorry? A nice formation. Yeah, they look really proper. So, um, and I managed to get from um, QRF, they had, they had the, some regimental guns. They had the, these ones called the Swedish leather guns, which are apparently the right. Feathers, weren't they called? Leather guns. Leather guns. Leather guns, yeah. Leather guns, right, okay. It was, a, it was leather tube rather than, well, harder than leather tube rather than yeah. metal. Oh, okay. They I've, were a band, I, they gave up on those fairly quickly. Because they exploded. <laughs> <laughs> Can't imagine why. Yeah, I've, um, I'm painting mine uh, with brass tubes just because it makes them a little bit more obvious what they are. This means war. Has anyone, anyone got any games lined up for next week or anything exciting like that? Um, I'm playing, uh, taking my son on, uh, funnily enough, trying out my feudal um, Spanish and he's decided to take a, a Viking army because he, he Ooh, likes the idea brave. of trying out heavy infantry. Nice. He's going to get murdered. <laughs> Is that um, cost center one or cost center two? Uh, cost center two. He's probably, I'll roll all ones and he'll roll sixes. Uh, for commands or something like that, which has been the normal thing each time I've played against him, that my uh, command capability somewhat disappears. Being a father of teenagers, that's quite a common feature. Command, command ability disappears. Yeah. Yeah. But plus, uh, wouldn't end up being able to afford the dice with teenagers. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I was, I'm, I've got a game lined up on Wednesday of ADLG Online. Um, against um, my American opponent, Dave, he wants to use Nicophorians, but I can't find anything contemporaneous which can usefully fight him in the things I've, I've got, you know, in, in, in the ADLG. I think we had a brief chat about this earlier um, because I could do Vikings or I could do Saxons, but I don't fancy either of those against Nicophorians. The my- Arab armies are the obvious, you know, they're the dynastic Bedouin is the... Uh, you know the Hamandids army is the one which they really yeah. like for in sports. Yeah, yeah. No, I've, never, I've, never, I've never actually used any of those armies. So. Or you could take Nicophorians yourself. Yes, you could have a yeah. Of course, I could. Yeah. Yeah, they all, they were always attacking each other. Well, that's right. Yeah, sort of. Um, or you could take one of the Italian ones because you you know they got um, betrayed by the Italians and the Venetians turning up and stabbed them in the back, didn't they? Well, yeah. this is a bit earlier than that. You see, I mean, you know, my my, my primary instinct would be. Um, I want to try and fight some fight him ideally with something that's contemporaneous and they come to an end Nicophorians come to an end in the year 1071 and the earliest year from the um, Normans initially is, 10, is 1072 um, well, The natural but, enemies are the, 
um, Bulgarians, Rus, Seljuk Turks, dynastic, dynastic Bedouin, Seljuk Turks. They're the ones that gave them a hiding at um, Manzikert, weren't they? Yeah, well, yeah. Manzikert's a bit later, but isn't it? That's after Nicephorus Focus is the sort of reconquest of the empire in in parts, but there was there was plenty of civil wars going on. I agree with that. Um, yeah, I might just take Nicephorians then, because as you say, it's just on on the tabletop simulator um, thing with the armies available. There's nothing which actually looks like a a, a, a an early um, feudal knight. You know, I, I'm quite happy to clone one from a different army, but there's nothing that just looks like the part really. Andy, just use use the Nicephorian list, the yeah, model. But re- I, I, take, an, take a dynastic Bedouin army, uh, dynastic Arab army. Is someone in there? I, I don't remember seeing one. But it wasn't so that, basically, but... that's, that's a natural enemy for the Nicophorians, and that's a good game because you're playing with Gullums against his cavalry. You've got some bowmen and you've got some figures, you know. Some, and I think if you use the Nicophorian TTS army designer mm. you can rename the cavalry's kurdish cavalry oh yeah i could always i could always rename them yeah that's no, no, that, that, would work, that would work really well yeah i'm not i'm not i've not ever tried a um dynastic bedouin or anything like that so i've never really used much dark I mean, ages yeah stuff. you could have a bit of fun with that some nice hamads of uh, aleppo so you can have some heavy cavalry yeah. bow elite and it also and you've got the uh, an arab army without having knights around which is which is always good because yeah. The Arab armies tend to suffer against knights. So I might use some Nicophorians and might call them Seljuk Turks or something and see how that works. Yeah. I've got a game against um, Tommy tomorrow. So to, you oh. know, Tommy, Tommy from, from Ireland, um, he reached out through the, the Italian wargaming competition, the um, Let's Play ADLG via Tabletop Simulator while we're all stuck in isolation. So um, he reached out. So we're having a... A game tomorrow night. He's what bringing, are you using? He's bringing Caroline uh, Frankish, and that's the one, Caroline Frankish. Um, and I was trying to think of something historical to suit. Um, and what I was thinking uh, to bring was maybe either feudal Spanish without the knights, so go the early one. Yeah. Or possibly mirror because he's gone Carolinian Frankish. I was thinking I might bring Merov- uh, Merovingian Frankish just for a bit of a um, granddad, grandson squabble to see who has the better army. Um, either that or Lombards, just because the idea of um, mass heavy cavalry impetuous with no command and um, mediocre bow um, and various other crazy options. So that, that seemed like a- I think Thanks that's fun. a good idea because you're going to be teaching Tommy how to use this a lot. So I think you need something simple to get a you know quick, hard, tough game. I think yeah, using one of the impetuous armies of that period, which would be historical because the Carolingians were the more sophisticated. Do the, do, do the feudal Spanish with the because the earlier ones you can have lots of heavy cavalry impetuous and just do a great big charge of those. But you can also then spice it up with a bit of spearmen and bowmen. Yeah, I was thinking that because that then uh, allows Tommy to see some of the different troop types on the table. I mean, I know he's played it in uh, in in the in real life, but just have quite a few different options of you know the heavy spearman, javelman, bowman, light foot. Could even bring a fortified camp just because it's a pretty model. So um, yeah. it's just finding the it's just finding the palette to do these things, which I'm finding challenging. That 
there's a lot of armies that are very sort of same, but they're out of period. So you don't get stuff that between about 500 and 1200, there's not actually a lot of stuff that's already on there. Mm-hmm. But I don't think we're complaining because the Italians have done an amazing job of oh. actually creating it. Oh, well, they've done, well, the stuff they've done is lovely. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. it's extraordinary what they've done. Yeah. So, all marks to them. Yeah, what Massimiliano and um, Oli have done with all their models they've generated, they are phenomenal. So, um, whenever Ollie's we done meet some them, foot Normans, I hope, hope, hopefully, if he, if he does some mounted Normans, that would be really good. Yeah, I can see when, whenever we finally get to meet up with them, they might be bought a few, just a few beers on the, the first time. So, oh, absolutely, yeah. Right. Well, that wraps up another week of podcasting. Goodbye. See you, everyone, and be safe, and we'll see, talk to you next week. Yep. you simon well done well done simon well done simon hopefully tim's enjoying his um his new house and a bit of quiet time away from us in london nice new place somewhere different different to look at and he's getting his eyes tested that's why he's gone (laughs) yeah i can imagine he's gone down with one small suitcase with clothing and a massive um uh, transport paints of, of, of um, paints, miniatures, and um, flocking bits. Yeah, and, um, Judy would really allow that. <laughs> <laughs> or what he's done is he's had all of his orders pre-shipped to the um, to the other house, just as a oh well, they happen to have arrived here by accident. So while I'm here. <laughs>